0: Today, we're going to talk about a situation in the Old Testament, uh, a time when, when the nation of Israel had fallen away from God. And what happened was, you know, there's always seems to be this, this cycle that the nation of Israel and, and others uh, take. And that is, you know, we, we have a great relationship with God, and then all of a sudden we start feeling really comfortable with it. And we start getting influenced by others, uh, other belief systems, other practices and things. And then what happens is we fall away. And we fall into some practices that God does not ordain, does not uh, say is right. And we start to worship other things other than the one true God. Well, this is what happened with the nation of Israel during this particular time. And... We're going to read out of the book of Judges today, and and I'll encourage you in Judges 11, is the chapter we're going to look at, to go back and look at this chapter later on and kind of let it mull around in your mind a little bit, because there's a lot to understand as far as what's going on here. And I'm going to do my best to walk each and every one of us through that here this morning. The story is about a man by the name of Jephthah. And Japheth was a, was a military man. He, was, uh, he had a reputation of being hard and ruthless and really a great reputation for overcoming other people, for fighting and for overcoming other nations and groups of people. This was the reputation that Japheth had earned himself. Well, a little bit more history on the man. Uh, his father was an Israelite by the name of Gilead, and Gilead was married uh, to a wife, and she bore two sons for him, and, uh, but then Gilead had a little extra thing going on, and this man we're going to study today, Japheth, uh, was Gilead's son, but by a prostitute. So what happened was that they all grew up and grew older. The kids from his naturally-born uh, family, through his wife, they, they said to each other, you know, if we let this guy, J-Path, uh, this you know our, our stepbrother, so to speak, come into the family, then he's going to share in the inheritance, you know, when our father passes away. Well, they didn't want that. They wanted to keep it all for themselves. So they chased j out. They chased him out of the area, and he took off. And he ended up setting himself up in another location. I think the name of the town was Todd or Tope, something of that nature. And J. sets him up out there, himself up out there, and it kind of gets hooked into a group of other people that are not so great. You know, they're they're kind of the type of people that push their way through things. They're very aggressive, uh, that and all that. So they kind of, you know, J. is rude and ruthless and aggressive, and these guys were too. And they just got a reputation for, you know, kind of bullying their way into and overcoming other groups of people in order to get what they want. So anyway, the family, the kids, they chase Japheth away, and he he goes out and finds himself a new place to be. Well, the nation of Israel, like I said, had had kind of fallen away from God, Uh, several hundred years earlier, and God allowed another group of people, the Amorites, to come in and to overcome them uh, as a punishment. It was the way that God dealt with the nation of Israel time and time again. uh, he He would let them be overpowered by another group of people and be oppressed in order to understand that they needed God. And that when they had a good and loving and lasting and trusting relationship with God, then everything was good. But when they fell away from that and they started to worship other gods, false gods, then things went bad. Things went south. That's that's what God wanted them to understand was their need for him. So here's the situation again. they got Gilead and his wife and two kids living at home. They chased away the son Uh, that uh, Gilead had through a prostitute. And he had gotten himself a great reputation as being a very aggressive fighter and uh, a good military-type man. And the nation is, is under oppression, and God wants the nation to inhabit the land that they are in, and the Amorites need to go. God has chosen this particular moment in history to judge the Amorites and and to really rid the nation of Israel of those people because they were starting to influence those people, the Israelites, in a way that the Israel that they would never recover. You know, they would fall away from God, continue get involved with the pagan worship and pagan gods, and then God would ultimately lose them altogether. So they went back out to Japheth, and they said to him, you know. We would like you to come and lead our nation in a revolt against uh, the Amorites. Well, Japheth is like, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, I was there originally. You guys chased me out because you didn't want to share the inheritance. And, you know, so I came over here and made a life for myself and made a name for myself. And now all of a sudden you're in trouble. And what do you do? You, you want me to come back and help you. And Jephthah says to himself, you know, I'm you know, I can do this, but I'm not going to do it unless I can be the leader. Well, the Bible tells us that the spirit of God came over Japheth and instructed him, influenced him to go ahead and fight the battle and that God would deliver the Amorites into his hands. But Japheth took it a little bit further and he said to the Israelites, if I come and do this, if I lead your warriors in battle against the Amorites and we're successful, then when the battle's all over, you're not kicking me out again. No, if we, if we are going to do this, then the agreement will be that I'll be the leader during the battle times, but when it's all over, I still will be the leader, you know, in this particular nation, in the nation of Israel. You know, He's not the king over Israel, but he's one of their leaders, especially militarily. So they agreed, you know, they're kind of eating humble pie a little bit, and they agreed that, okay, you know, we'll bring him back because, you know, God wants us to have the land, and we think God's going to work through him and overcome them, and, okay, we'll put up with him for a while, you know, and whatever. So they made the agreement. I I guess my question for you, and i got a couple questions for you today, is was that a good thing that j did or not? Was it a good thing that he made that kind of a deal with the nation of Israel? I'm going to let you think about it. Well, Japheth, he, he decides that he needs a little bit of, how do I want to say it? He needs some assurance that everything is going to go according to plan. So, Japheth makes a vow, and I'm going to put it on the screen here for you. Japheth makes a vow to God. And he he made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon, or or the Amorites, into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, surely, or shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. This really is kind of a foxhole prayer. You ever made those kind of prayers in your life where, you know, in a crisis situation and you want something desperately, you you turn to God and you're like, you know, God, you know, if you'll do this and I'll do that, you know, there's, there's it's kind of a deal making thing. You know, it's like sometimes we pray for somebody and I've, I've seen this before, you know, Aunt Bessie is sick and in the hospital, and and a family member is like, well, you know, he turns to God and prays to God and says, you know, if you'll heal, you know, Aunt Bessie here, then then I'll be in church next Sunday. You know, we we try and make deals with God sometimes. Well, that's what Japheth is doing, is he's trying to make a deal with God, and he says to him, he says, you know, if you will provide the the victory over the Amorites, then Then I'm going to do this for you. Well, does God really need us to do anything for us? Probably not. And then the story continues. And it says, so Japheth advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hands. So, yes, God's spirit came over Japheth, said, I want you to go and fight. I'm going to be with you. And that's exactly what he did. And it continues. And he defeated them from Ere, as far as Mineth, 20 cities, and to Abel-Korinam, with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. Well, he did it. You know, he won the war. He went out there and slaughtered all these Amorites. And, and again, I, these are some of the things that, that I don't necessarily like in the Bible. But we have to understand that throughout history, <clears throat> there are groups of people, especially, that follow certain religious practices, uh, the pagan ones, that God says, you know, I'm going to deal with you long enough to try and get you to come my way. But if it gets to a point to where your influence over other people uh, is so great that you're preventing other people to, then, you know, for coming to know me, he says, then I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to get rid of you. I mean, he did that with the Great Flood. When God looked at the world and said, you know, there's so much corruption down there that these people will never return to me. So he floods the world and starts over. And he did that with many different nations throughout the uh, history. And the same thing here. The Amorites were pagan. They, they were influencing Israel. They were oppressing Israel. And they, it got to the point to where God chose to judge them uh, through this particular series of events. So anyway, they won, you know, and okay, wonderful. And then there comes the vow. When Japheth came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter, and it came to pass when he saw her He tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord and I cannot go back on it. You know, just because somebody is given a victory by God, it doesn't mean that that victory came about because of a deal or a prayer or something that was offered. You know, like for for this man here, Japheth, you know, he makes this this vow to God, if you give me this and I'll do that for you. That's not the reason the victory took place. Like I said earlier, God was using this moment in history and these particular individuals to judge the nation of the Amorites and to get rid of them or many of them uh, because they were influencing other people and other nations to fall away from God. I mean, let's face it, that's God's whole reason for us being here is so that we might understand our need for God and have the opportunity to return to him. So naturally, if there's something that's going to be in the way of that, you know, God in his infinite wisdom and mercy will let things progress, always trying to bring good out of it. But many times it's there's enough is enough, you know, one of those kind of deals. Just because he was given the victory, uh, it doesn't mean that his bargaining or his manipulation or he tried to manipulate with God was the right thing to do. j should have um, realized that in God he could trust. You see, bargaining with God is never the right thing to do, and yet we all seem to do it from time to time. You know, we have a loved one or maybe a problem of our own and, you know, the situation is severe and and we ask God, you know, can you heal or can you do this or do that? And then I'll do something, you know, for you. I remember in Catholic grade school being taught that, you know, if you want God to do something for you, then you need to do something in return to show him how serious you are about it. You know, so God, if you'll do this for me, then I'm going to do that. Well... It's one thing to offer to God, you know, a resource or, or something that shows your sincerity. It's another thing to try and manipulate God into a corner. And that's what Japheth had tried to do. It really shows that he didn't trust God. He really didn't trust in the plans of God is what it boils down to. Well... well j has a couple of issues here with this story. Well, first of all, God was calling him to go and to do this. Uh, scripture tells us that. But he made a sinful vow because he said to himself, and he said to the Lord, he says, I'll go and do this. He said that to the Israelites. I'll go and do this. You know, but I want some assurance. So he tries to manipulate God into a corner. And then he makes a stupid vow which was a paganistic, pal. I mean, only the pagan culture uh, was was the ones that were, you know, worshiping these gods that they had to sacrifice their children to and everything. And, and would God be honored by that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God was not honored by j trying to put him in a corner so that God owed him something or that God would do something because j was going to do something. That's not the way it works. And then to fulfill the vow was even worse. It was even I mean, he ended up offering his daughter uh, on an altar as a burnt sacrifice, uh, as horrific as that is. Uh, he, he did it because he said he can't turn back on his vow uh, to God. Well, he should have never made the vow to begin with. And what he should have done is after the battle, he should have really... Humbly approached God and said, you know, I'm sorry, but I made this vow for the wrong reason. And I realized that, um, you know, to do this, to follow through on it would be it it would be a pagan ritual. And that is not honoring of who you are. And he should have humbly repented of that. But he didn't. Instead, he chose to lose his daughter um, through this type of sacrifice. The problem I have with all of this, and I think that we can see here, is that God does not enjoy seeing other people suffer. God does not um, put up with people that will keep others away from having a a new and a growing and long-lasting loving relationship with himself. He doesn't do that. He's very serious about it. That's why we're here in this place on the earth. That's why God allows certain things to take place. And that's why God uses certain things to accomplish his will, always with good in mind so that people will come to know and come to realize how much they need him, that people will repent of the sins of their life and come back to him. And if something ends up getting in the way and something becomes so um, severe that it, it, it will oppose people and people will lose the opportunity to come back to God, uh, he's going to get rid of it. That's what happened with the days of Noah and the great flood. Uh, we, We know about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, the evil in those cities was so great, it was starting to influence others, and they would not repent of their sins, so God ends it. And that's part of the way God does things. We have to remember, though, that when we pray, to God. It should be a prayer of trust. Understanding that God already knows what we're going to pray about. He already knows all of the situations in our life. He already knows that, you know, eventually we're going to get to a point to where we're going to accept him or reject him. But the opportunity needs to be there. And that if if for some reason other people are going to have an influence over that of over us that will eliminate the possibility of us coming back to god he's probably going to get rid of them he's probably going to move them out of the way i mean god does a lot of different things in different ways and who am i i'm no i'm no one to say what god's going to do but historically we can see that god removes people and judges people through the centuries and all of these things are orchestrated in a plan that is to get each and every one of us to realize our deep need for god and to come back to God, that's what it's all about. Well, I want you to think about that this week, and I encourage you to go through uh, the Book of Judges, uh, especially chapter eleven, and look at that story, and see what it is that you can find about how God works, and then compare that to your own life. You know, are there times that God has called you to do something, or are there times where, you know, you've seen God work through other people? Are there times where you've seen God work through other people, and then those people make huge mistakes? You know, probably the one of the most recent examples of that is there's a man by the name of Ravi Zacharias. Uh, Ravi Zacharias Ministries has done a wealth of good in promoting the gospel of Jesus around the globe for years. Well, upon his death, they found that Ravi was also fighting a battle with uh you know, some sexual issues, and, you know, so you look at it and say, was the man perfect? No. Did God use an imperfect man to accomplish his will? Partly yes. Well, I want everyone to think about those issues and those ideas and concepts this week as you consider the way God works in each one of our lives. So, hey, thanks for joining me today, and God bless you. And I want to remind you that... If you have problems dialing in to view uh, this message on Facebook Live, it is now posted on the ToughQuestionsForGod.org website. So you can just a tab there, go right to the live broadcast, and there it is. So that's that's all you got to do. Thanks and God bless, and I will see you next week.